Hi there, welcome to another edition of the Behind the Mask podcast, the show that introduces you to the person behind the athlete, all thanks to Empower Sports Management. I'm your host, Andy Moon, and alongside me and Mark Kelly today is former Scottish international Christian Daly. Christian, thanks so much for joining us. No worries whatsoever. Pleasure. My pleasure. Christian, we'll talk through your career, but first of all, we're sort of around, what, 10 years since, since your retirement. Just tell us what, how, you, how you spent that last decade, what you've been up to since you, you gave up playing. Um, well, during my playing career, especially around the last 10 years of my playing career, I was already in the process of coaching athletes. So uh, my kids were athletes and I ended up taking them up to athletics and I decided as part of my own uh, development to start to uh, to do a little bit of coaching up there. I actually thought I would maybe learn a little bit about um, about the physiology that underpins a lot of athletic abilities, even within football, from 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 dealing with athletes and from working with athletes. And um, I did learn some bits and bobs. I also learned again, like I did in football, uh, some bits and bobs that definitely shouldn't be going on that was that were going on. I, I realised that they had some of the same problems that football had. Especially with overtraining, etc. But um, but something that was always fascinated me was how the body functions, how it evolved to function. And towards the end of my playing career, I decided to embark on a, a sports science degree. It was a distance learning sports science degree that, through the PFA, and um, it was a five-year distance learning course. And, and um, so there was no lectures, but um, of the first couple of years, I spent. Um, doing that while I was still playing. But I decided that uh, if I wanted to do it properly and I wanted to spend, a, a, you know, to really, really excel in this, I had to develop my skills and thinking out the box a bit, which was what I liked to do in the way that I was doing my degree. I decided to do the three year that I had left as almost full time. So I just basically stopped uh, playing to purely, they was offered a couple of years to still play at South End, and um, I thought, you know, I, I actually went in to sign the contract at South End, and on the way in there, I actually decided, basically, as I was walking the door, I changed my mind. So I said to Paul Sturrock, um, "Really sorry, I know I've come in to sign, but I've just literally changed my mind." So uh, that's me done in football. And he went, "All the best," and I turned around. That was me, and I just decided to concentrate on on the degree. And uh, and then that's been since then. I've just um, I've been developing what I'm doing now, which is transferring that into helping the the population improve their their health. How that transition? Were you enjoying the part time, and did that help you go into the the kind of full time study? How was how was that? Because it must have been quite difficult to make the decision then and there. If you've got a contract in front of you to say I'm going to stop. I was, I was enjoying it. Um, I, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed learning and I've always enjoyed uh, trying to be, better myself and to work out how things work. Uh, I don't like wasting my time too much, so I always try and work out how things work and it, I always have to see it working for it to make a difference, which makes sure it makes a difference. And I like to understand what underpins that process. And um, so... Uh, when when you're when you're studying for something that like the in sports science and you're really passionate about it, um, you want to what you what you end up is on a bit of a journey. So it's like a, you 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 you'll you'll see something and you'll hypothesize something. So you'll look at it and uh, and you'll find it. But then from that you end up going off on a bit of a journey, and you'll end up 
you know where you're going to or where you think you might be going to, but you start getting led off on different paths. And um, I think what you end up, I've always had this thing where I, I don't mind too much being a jack of all trades, but you could obviously be a jack of all trades and master of none. I'm very much a generalist in that sense, I would say. But I always quite like the thought of actually trying to master every part of those as well. So in piecing together, it helps you to piece together the jigsaw much better. And it also allows you to talk to other people within various fields. I mean, there's so many parts to a sports science degree, for example, you know, so many different parts to it. And then, so there was, the, there was the basic structure of the degree, but I hardly really followed that structure. I basically took each part of it and then tried to become an expert in every part of it. And to do that, you need to spend huge amounts of time researching and also trying things. I think that's what's um, what's missing in a lot of research is I, I listen to researchers talking and they obviously do great jobs in putting out scientific literature, etc. But and what they don't have is clinical experience or practical experience of implementing the things they're saying. So I can quite quickly rule things out because we know from experience that a lot of these things they do don't work. But that takes time to actually paint a picture of that, to try things, to come back in, to research, to go back again, to see it in a different way. And uh, it was really advantageous uh, when, I, when I actually came to doing my, to finishing off the degree, et cetera, and how I could then apply the knowledge from that. You're so sure when you're going in about what you're doing. And I was already starting to use this, uh, a lot of the stuff that we were working on, or that I was working on uh, with athletes. and. Um, and it was it was having a profound effect, not just on the on the on the performance, but on the on the metabolic health that underpinned their performance. So we're able to look at every aspect of them of their physiology and develop always keep the underpinning and then move them on. But without the knowledge and the time to research that and piece that puzzle together, it it, it probably it would have been it would have been a much more difficult process. You said you're a generalist. Do you think that's rare in football? Because we often think of footballers as quite tunnel vision focused people who have had their eye on being a footballer and nothing else all, all their life? Um, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I, I like the thought process of the idea of being a, more of a generalist. I think it's been, I think there are issues with becoming too specific in something. Um, I think I've actually seen, we've actually seen it recently within, even for example, within the pandemic times where you listen to a virologist talking and you can see they've been trained any certain way, but it means, but straight away, I can see within them that they have a misunderstanding of complete systems and how all systems work. So you can see, you can see what they mean or what they think they mean, but without understanding the implications of a, of a, on a wider basis. And um, I think that's what, that's where having a more general way of looking at things almost like more like a complex systems way of looking at things where you can see the entire system and all the components within that even if you're not an expert in all these bits it's probably better to understand all these pieces up to a good level than maybe just one part of it sometimes and then because sometimes if you've if you've gone down that path and learned one thing wrong and it's not quite right you really are you really can be stuck so I think there's definitely something uh, to take from that. I think within football, I think it, it can happen to some football players within academy structures as well. That they just become so specific in one thing and in a certain way of doing it. And it could lead them down a path. And if all fails, um, they don't really have anything else to fall back on or, to, or another way of doing things. And really, 
when something I've studied a lot of time is and look at, for example, things such as skill acquisition. And you look at people with who have the most skill, have the most ways of doing things, the most options. There's, it's not one way. And um, I think coaching people in, or teaching people in any field is really about giving people the most ways to do things. So talking about that, Christian, looking at that, would you say a lot of your passion and drive what feeds you now is from experiences that you experience within the game and people within the game? Because sports science, we know, I mean, from probably when you started to, to where it to where it's ended and working through now, is that was that the real driver for you? Did you see a lot of things at clubs that you thought this just doesn't feel right? Or were you being asked by managers that you just what kind of training patterns? Because I know it used to be a lot of just get on and do it. Back in our day, there was no explanation of why, what, wherefore, just do it. And none of us really knew. So is that a real driver for some of the passion? I think it probably is. There's definitely an element of that, Mark. Um, I think when if you if I take back to when I first started to play, so I went from playing boys' club football in the May at age 16. And I was I was going full time at Dundee United after that, but I played my last game of the season in under 16s then. Um, and then the next game that I played was the first league game of the season for Dundee United that summer. You see, so I went from playing under 16 football to men's football, but I found that transition completely seamless because I did not have a care in the world. But the more that I was coached, the more difficult I found the process. I mean, I, I, I started off as a striker and a, and a midfield player, and I actually played for, I actually captained Scotland under 15s as a mid, certain midfield player who sometimes played up front, but then I could also play at the back if required, you know. But I had this almost like slightly almost free-spirited, skillful, going-past-people type of way of playing. But the further I got in the game, and I was coached what you would say well, but the more that I was basically taught not to do that. So if there was something where I would say, say I made a run in a game and I was up front, I would run just genuinely where I thought the ball would go or where I thought it should go. And... I would score. I scored my first three games just doing that, but I was subsequently taught that that was the wrong place to run. So I was prescribed something, and it made me. It made because I was a good lad and I wanted to do well. It made me think that I was doing it wrong, a lot of the time, and so I ended up becoming a far more um, structured and slightly more boring version of myself <laughs> as time went on. And um, the longer I went on in the game, I, I just I just got on with it. I did it and I found a way to do it and that type of thing. And uh, you end up playing a role and sort of finding your way and obviously did, did a lot of things right and it was fine. But um, if I go back to then, as I was looking after my own children, um, I was absolutely trying to provide them with an, an environment where if they were given any coaching instruction whatsoever, it was only ever thought of as being an option and not a not a rule because there is so many different ways to do things and it's about finding the best way for them and having a huge repertoire of solutions that you had for a given situation that you could then use 
in him. But I still see it now. It's still it's still really difficult. Um, some of the some of the the, the best players that come through, for example, in an academy system, just are, are ignoring the system. They're just coming through, and um, they're just it's just a free for all. I mean, there's there's young lads coming through. Uh, the academy that my son was at quite recently, I said that I've actually barely been coached and almost bypassed the actual most of the academy system going to the first team, you know. So that's yet the boys who are in the system for longer are, are not going into the first team, and so that's um, interesting, interesting that, that that happens. So it's more like to do with this: how do you develop the, the skills and the character to be able to just fully express yourself in a given way, you know, in the right way. So just leading on from that, I mean, I've had experiences. I've I've brought my own sons up to you, up up yeah. to the gym, and, and you've worked with Liam and Aiden as they're going through their their little journey. And it was interesting for me because obviously the job I did, I was an academy manager and worked with all these kids. But actually, you know, Aiden was getting growth spurts. He still is now. He's he's going through that real growth maturation. And the way that you broke it down was so so clever. But you're saying, you know. There's just too many spikes in academies. You see too much training, not training, then training again. And that's why they're, they're getting hit at different times, um, yeah. which I found fascinating, to be honest with you, the real core element of, of where it is. But, I could, you know, he's he's benefited massively from it now. I've just seen a change in his athletic development so greatly over just changing those little incidents. And uh, it's something, you know, that's really greatly, it should be explored a little bit more. But you just want to talk through that, because as I said, we've had yeah. that little connection. It was it was, a, it was such a nice one. Absolutely, yeah. Is there anything in particular that you, um, that you want to talk about on that? I mean, what part of it did you find uh, the most interesting? Because if you cue me on something, I'll definitely be able to. Yeah, no, 100 Well, I found fascinating the fact, as you're saying, the, the spiking of the way they train. You know, they'll train on a Monday night, then not do anything on a Tuesday, then hit it again on a Wednesday. And then and when you're going through that growth and maturation, your body's just getting whacked. So, you know, Osgood's your knees, your joints, your, your, the, the way that it happens and you get hit because you're coming off it, you're going back on. They play on a Sunday. So the week, the weekly program scheduling, it just seems to be a little bit all over the place. And listen, I was in the middle of it. I was there running these programs. But when you explain that and broke it down a little bit more, I just found it fascinating and very interesting. It is. It's, and it's, it's an amazing thing. So if you take the, the physiology that underpins their, uh, their physiological development in terms of for football, but also when you link it into the, when, they're, when they're maturing. I mean, I'll take, if, if I was just to take my own son as an example. So uh, it, we, what we've done since from a very young age is, uh, is we monitor heart rates of athletes. And you can see you, what that allows you to do is an incredible um, way of monitoring the a stress on a system on a, on a on a human system is to just look at the effect of or even like resting heart rates, but also working heart rates. And one of the things that we do in here is we look at what we call people's zone one heart rates. So we get them to jog and we get them to run nice and easy. And once they've done about 10 minutes, we can actually look at the speed of that uh, of that run for a given heart rate. And it gives a great little health indicator or stress indicator or or, a, or an indicator of whether someone's coming down with an illness, whether they've slept well, whether they're tired or whatever it was. So it, when I looked after my son Bobby, um, when he was about he was about thirteen years old, we started to we we're doing it with other athletes um, up at uh, Chelmsford where we coached. But we started to try and work out the level of stress that were on the, those kids' systems um, that was out with necessarily uh, athletics or out with football. But there's all lot of things going like exams and they're having new relationships and, and obviously puberty, et cetera, and things like that. So we started to look at that type of thing. 
And um, it was fascinating. So if Bobby played a football match on the Sunday and he played midfield for his boys' club football team, he would have, let's say he had a heart rate and running speed of, let's say, at nine-minute miles. Okay, so that was that was that was at baseline. Would say the speed that he could run at when he was fresh would be at nine minutes per mile. When he played a football match on the Sunday, if he did that, on, if he did, went for his jog on the Monday, he would be at about ten and a half minute miles. So he would lose about a minute and a half per mile purely through fatigue. The following day on the Tuesday, it would be the same, be ten and a half minute miles. On the Wednesday, it tended to drop right down. And it would probably be then now then about nine and a half minute miles. It dropped down really quickly, so he obviously was starting to recover. And by the Thursday, it tended to be just about about right. Now, you think that fascinated me? So what we did with him was he hardly did he did almost nothing else intense up to that point every week as part of a, a trial to see how he would adapt to this over time. And um, what what he would do in the meantime is so you'd have this low intensity aerobic non-specific thing going on, which was just jogging, these bits and bobs. He had no other football in that time, except he would go in the garden with the ball and just work with the ball. So he's just, it was more like a skill-based type number of touches and just play around. So it was almost like play. And he would do that plus that. And we just were interested to see what would happen with him over that time. What it meant was when he did train, he felt great. And also he seemed to have boundless energy when he played. Now, the most fascinating thing about that whole thing was he actually ended up winning the Essex Schools Cross Country Championship doing that with no training sessions, no intense training sessions. There was no, um, no, um, no, no extra training, no, no um, high intensity, no nothing like that. But what he was doing, he was having a 80 minute massive um, thing on the Sunday. And then what he was doing, low intensity aerobic work and allowing an adaptation to that. And that was acting as a massive stimulus. He was injury-free, he was healthy-free, never a single injury, never a single niggle, never anything else like that. And he beat all the athletes. And that happened for a couple of years in a row. And it was it was just absolutely unbelievable to watch this adaptation. Um, and what was also really interesting about it is, is that by monitoring those heart rates, this is about adaptation. So it's something completely non-specific he was doing that allowed them to be specific in something. He obviously clearly was just able to run like that. But if you looked at what you would normally do in an academy between that Sunday and Thursday, you'd normally have trained three times or something between then. And so I'd go into an academy, get asked in a few times to go and look, and there would be six players from one age group in the treatment table, Osgood Slatters with um, with uh, problems with their heels, etc. But we were just coming through this seamlessly. It was, wasn't even a thing. But what was really interesting was that one day Bobby went out for one of his jogs and he was about 14 and he had a sudden minute per mile increase in or, or decrease in his speed. And it was it was like it was, it was kind of I thought he was maybe coming down with an illness. So he just gone out, he just it was just part of what he did. And it was really easy. It was but he he then said, Well, that was really slow. Next day it was the same. Next day it was the same. But he seemed okay. So I was kind of struggling to work out what that was. And then um, but then his skin started to change. His voice started to change. Everything started to change. So it was almost like I managed to actually track the very day that he actually hit puberty. So almost that day made those that hormonal change. Now, the stress on his system from that day on, this lasted for 
basically a couple of years, he was like this. He just started to grow and he started to change. It's a whole new ball game there. But if you were to look at his heart rate, it was it was just shouting stress, huge stress. Now you think what happens at that time? What do we do with the kids when they get to that age? We tend to train them even more. We train them even harder, work them even harder because they can, because they're getting bigger and stronger and they're knocking people out of the way. And, and we're looking at these ones and going, oh, get him in, get him in. So it was it, it was it was like um, but the stress that's on them is actually even higher. So it, I would say it's probably more important that they those kids at that age, like you're talking about your kids, that they do even more of the stuff that therefore underpins their football, definitely an element of strength work, that develop the aerobic system, make sure you make sure they're absolutely fresh when they train and most of the time, because obviously can't be every time, but most of the time, and develop that physiology that underpins that, because I think the system can lose people to that. And I think, but I think, because I think some people can tolerate it. And what's quite difficult about that is that sometimes it's the best athletes that suffer the most. The ones that can take themselves to a higher place physically can actually trash themselves more as well and have probably more chance of being more injured, you see? So if you did some of that more physiological stuff that underpins their metabolic health and then look at, say, a skill element and work on those things to get them through that puberty, I think the system could be set up to educate on that. And then if you did it, if that was educated on, it's, it's amazing the difference that that could make. It then sets people up for the future and allows them, it gives them also an extra toolkit, not just for then, but to try to take with them in the future as well. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's where, you know, identifiably really seeing that in the way that you were working with the boys and what you were doing is the fact, you know, I'm looking back and reflecting back at my life and my job, but you're probably making decisions on those boys, a lot of decisions on those boys when they're hitting those problems and the problematics yeah. and it's it's going through and, you know, because the consistency just isn't there. So it's been, yeah. uh, that's been a really interesting journey for me back back through and, and watching the way that you work with them. It's, diff it's difficult to do in a, in a team situation as well, too, because you've, you're, in your situation, Mark, you're dealing with so many, uh, so many players and um, you're, you're, in a sense, you're almost slightly individualizing their care to a certain extent and making sure each person's okay. But I think there's definitely, it's definitely something that could be, um, that can be taught. We know how to do this. And uh, it's, um, and we could help people, not just like who are coaches at the academy, but the, the sports scientists around it and other people around it, medical people around it, physiotherapists around it, to know what they're then looking at when they see someone that's in those situations. Because if you put the right preconditions in, lots of those issues are not even issues anymore. And uh, we even see it in sports like cricket. Um, my colleague, Emma Prido, um, her son is Essex first team cricket. It's just got an Essex first team actually for cricket. And he's come through, a, it's a similar system in a certain extent. And you just see loads and loads of, he's a fast bowler. And you see lots and lots of people coming through with um, back injuries, back fractures, uh, rotator cuff problems and all this kind of stuff. So what Bill has been able to do is to seamlessly, despite the fact he's gone, he is, he, if you saw him at age 15, he was about five foot five and he's now six foot four. He's huge. Despite that time, he's been the one player that's come through the entire thing without a single break for any kind of um, injury whatsoever. But he has followed this stress recovery adaptation protocol of making sure that he's always underpinning what he does. 
with some other parts. He's, he's got a repertoire now that he can go to that he will not just use now, but he'll take it throughout his life. He actually knows how to look after himself, how to develop his physiology, how to keep healthy, what to eat, how to live. He knows how to do it. It doesn't mean to say he'll do it, but at least you know. So it's a great education, and it'd be something that'd be invaluable to a lot of the, the, the young lads. Christian, what's clear is that you've got a real passion for this. Uh, at what point during your, your playing career did you think, you know, did something click and you thought sports science is, is where I want to go at some point? Because you, when you're playing at the high level you are, there's, there's not always that much time for other things. When did you, when did you really realise? Um, I, th- I think it, sports science was really... It was just there. It was. Uh, it was something I wanted to, to qualify myself in something, and I wanted to have access to literature. So I wanted to, to just have access to something. So the the sports science degree was a was an, was a, a, a almost like a, a simple transition into academia, almost, and just to start to do some further learning. Right from a young age, I come from a slightly academic type of family. Um, I mean, when I when I when I first started to play football at um, Dundee United, my dad had made me do uh, like an advanced maths um, qualification, which I really wasn't happy with at all. I mean, because I, I, it's it's so it's actually really hard to to focus on something like that when you're trying to play. And he, yeah. he, by the time when you get home, so you, you just don't even feel like doing anything like that. So it's more of, it was an enjoyment thing. I just was like, I don't really want to do this, and um, so I quite quickly stopped that. But um, Right from day one um, in my life, I've always tried to work out how things function. So I always want to work out, I love processes such as evolution. I love complex systems. I used to look at, um, I, I used to love, uh, well, say I love space and understand how, how things function. I've always looked at science. I used to take quantum physics books with me to, I'd have them beside my bed when I was in away trips. It was like, I just want to- There can't be many footballers with that though. No, definitely not. And it was a wee bit different. But at the same time, it was just because I was just quite interested in how to work out how things work, you see. So, and if it doesn't work, I'm not really, I don't, I don't really like it. But at the same time, I was um, hugely um, respectful of the coaching I was receiving, and I was also extraordinarily trusting. So I would do, I would try everything that I was told, and I would always do. But I was a good lad, and I always did what I was told. And um, the only, the only issue I had with that is a lot of time I now realise why a lot of the time I felt nothing like how I wanted to feel like. I mean, most times when I played played a match, I actually didn't feel very good. And I don't think that was really the idea. Um, but you still get by. But I'd had, I mean, like I was speaking to Mark there about the kids, and I'd, had, I'd already had five five knee operations before I was 20. And um, I was absolutely uh, trashed. Um, and I always had, had about eight or nine knee operations in the course of my career. So many different uh, things. And then um, I'd have uh, punctured lung and had all sorts of different things caused by overtraining and um, doing too much and all that sort of thing. So it was a case of trying to work things out. And the great thing about experience is by the time I got to the end of my career, which is why I was so pleased to play for so long, I'd more or less worked it out. But by then, you're 37, 38. And um, I mean, I got player of the year at Charlton when I was, I think I was 38. It was the, probably the best football in year of my career, but it was the one time when I played that entire season where I'd actually worked it out. I knew how to play the position. I knew exactly what I was doing physically. I knew exactly how to look after exactly what I was going to do. And and, and I, I think it was one of the few seasons that I played, played a whole season. I could probably have 
there's maybe one or two games where I wasn't happy with how I did. And the rest of the time, I knew there was basically nothing else that I could do. Um, they couldn't prove it. So it was it's a big, big jump there. Do you think in football, there's a reluctance for coaches to listen to players and be, t- you know, if you went to a manager and said, I don't think we're doing this right, I think we need to. Do you think there's a reluctance for managers to, to listen to players if they have concerns about those things? Uh, maybe the maybe the players themselves maybe yeah they maybe don't they maybe do worry about I mean it'll be set it depends it'll depend on the management and it'll depend on the system um, I'd imagine and um, there will be players who are worried about missing things or is it okay to to do this or is it okay to do that um, and I think what the system must be careful is that it doesn't it doesn't rule out certain types of characters at a uh, at a young age because they're maybe just not comfortable in that situation or have the confidence then to be to, to put something in place but it doesn't mean to say to in two years time from then they're not going to be able to do it and I think it's it's just being able to recognize that if you look at the the top players in the world and the top managers I mean look at someone like Haaland for example he, he, you move club to a new club, um, and it's like you could quite easily be a wee bit nervous about moving club and yeah. a new set of players and stuff. Complete and utter freedom to play, and it's it's like he's completely no boundaries whatsoever. On he's even sworn on TV, um, by accident. It's just this complete freedom. Now it's really what you want to do is have to build this huge repertoire of of abilities and uh, be able to express it and know that it's okay to express it. And from a coaching perspective, I think what we've all got to do as coaches, and this is like me myself as well, is all whatever I do try to prescribe as options. So if we prescribe something that's too prescriptive and the system's too prescriptive, we know that, that with complex systems like human bodies and stuff, if you if you provide inappropriate constraints on that system, like the human, the human system, that you can actually cause a maladaptive response. So you can make people worse by doing that. What you look to do is maybe give them an option, allow them to explore that option and get them to build up a repertoire of things. There's loads of different ways to do things. And I think that's what we're doing as coaches, building up people's repertoire of things, repertoires of ways of looking after themselves. You know, things, little go-tos that they've got. There might be three, four, five ways to get out of an individual situation. If you look at people like Lionel Messi, for example, he's got such an unbelievable um, range of skill that he has that when he's coming up to someone, he can almost instantaneously make decisions as he's coming towards someone and he has multiple ways in which he can go past you. And he's almost reacting off you. Now, that's the, obviously the end point of this process. Now, I've got a good idea how people can get to that. Um, but it's um, but it's it's an amazing to watch that, to watch that level of skill and to be able to see that he's actually reacted off of you because of various factors within that, but he has an unbelievable repertoire. So he's got probably five different things. Now he might not even know himself as he's coming up to you, which way he's going to go. You know, that's obviously it's, he's just, he's, he's got no boundaries there. He, he, he will do, he will go past you in a way that is appropriate for that given situation, but he has a lot of options, different ways to do that. See, so, um, and that's because he's, he's developed that obviously is because he's not bad. Uh, Christian, Final question. I think I'm right in saying that your your sister's a journalist. Did you ever have any temptation to go down that route? Uh, not really. Um, I mean, yeah, she's a she's quite a character. My sister. And she was always 
she was always made for that. Um, she used to do a lot of drama, etc. And um, she would, uh, she always had this two different personalities. It's always amazed me. There's one of them where she would be so quiet and uh, and nice, and and uh, had this other way of expressing herself, which was just when she went on the stage, which was amazing. And then she ended up going into radio and then into TV. And I have been asked that quite a few times. Did you not think about doing that uh, yourself? But um, no, I just think uh, I just I just left it for her. And I've always been more interested in in sort of trying to get to the root cause of why things happen. And um, and then to, quite often what you find is with with some way, certain way of thinking, especially it's almost like systems, complex systems way of thinking that you have that your solutions that you come up with are very different to what is commonly prescribed. And um, and so that's my kind of journey. And it's and the pathway towards that is meant of not uh, not miss football too much in the process of doing that. Um, I want to work out how things function and I want to then therefore be and come up with systems that can allow people to actually develop that, monitor it. We want to educate on that. And um and I, I love coaching it. And I, I love uh, I love teaching people, and I suppose it's it's a form of what we call pedagogy, and it's a, it's almost what you call like non-linear pedagogy. It's slightly out the box, even making those slight changes you can see making it, people can have quite profound differences, and um, and it's about adaptations. It's got to work, and it does change a bit for each person, and um, I think it's important that a lot we don't lose too many people out of the various systems that there is, whether it's football academies or if it's athletic systems, or um, because what you what you find is if you're really patient with people, you understand how things function and you you know where along the the pathway of the development of these these uh, these athletes are or what status they've got, um, then if you understand that, you can just be so patient and and you can wait before making decisions on them and provide them with a repertoire and a toolkit that, that can not only allow them to be the best they can be, but if they don't make it within the game, can then go off in the future with this uh, broad wealth of knowledge that will keep them really healthy and fit and educated um, for the rest of their life. Christian, this has been absolutely fascinating, this chat. Thank you so much for joining us on the Behind the Mask podcast. And uh, thank you so much to yourself for downloading the Behind the Mask podcast. Please feel free to give us a rating and a review. Make it five stars if you wouldn't mind. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this wherever you get your podcast from. For now, thank you very much, and we'll see you again soon.